Okay, Jim, last week we talked about forever chemicals. Right. We talked about what they are, if they're safe, and we're going to do a little bit more on that today. Okay. We're going to talk about why they are (laughs) and how they came to be and um, how there may have been a little bit of deception on the part of chemical companies to keep their dangers a secret. Ooh. Not cute. You hate to see it. Hate to see it. So we're going to do a deep dive on that. And then next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about what we can do about them. So it's dark today, but it ends on a high note next week or two weeks from now. Okay. But before we do any of that, Uh we want to dedicate this week's episode to our brand new patron, Latila S. Awesome. Yes, Latila. Thank you so much for joining our super cool community. Community. Yeah. And Latila, we first talked to Latila right before our YouTube live and she's been messaging us. And so it's kind of fun to see her join in. And she even asked about when our coffee hour or for our co- questions about our coffee hour this week. So nice. very exciting. Um, and if y'all want more info on our Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Kim for your life. Learn more about it. Yep. We'd love to have you. And now on to today's show. Hey, I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Okay, so this is part two. Okay. And we've talked about Teflon before, so this is sort of going to be a similar history because it's the same backstory, but I don't think we've gone into this much detail about the discovery of Teflon. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to ask Bree to illustrate this. Okay. But if you remember, Teflon is a polymer and uh, its full name is polytetrafluoroethylene, which means uh, a polymer is a large molecule made up of a bunch of smaller molecules. We like to call them smolecules. Mm-hmm. So the Poly is there's multiple, and then the tetrafluoroethylene is the molecule that gets repeated over and over. Right, right. And we've talked about before that um, essentially that Teflon is just a chain of carbons with only fluorines and no hydrogens on it. Right. But I don't think we've talked about the fact that it comes from tetrafluoroethylene and what even tetrafluoroethylene is. Okay. So it's not like you just start with a carbon bonded to four fluorines and then you add them together. Right. What you actually start with for tetrafluoroethylene, ethylene is a carbon-carbon double bond. So way, way back when we talked about different alcohols, we talked about how for a single carbon, that's called meth, methane. Mm -hmm. For a double or two carbons, it's called eth, ethane. If you put an alcohol in it, that's ethanol. Okay. And instead of the carbons being linked by a single bond, if you have two bonds between them, that's called ethene. Okay. So E and E indicates that there's a double bond at the end if you have E and E. Okay. Okay. So ethylene means there's two carbons and there's a double bond between them. Okay. So normally we'd call that ethene usually, but um, for tetrafluoroethylene, If you can imagine in your mind, carbon likes to have four bonds, right? And hopefully we can have Brie illustrate this for us. Normally carbon likes to have four bonds. But in this case, one of the carbons has two of its little arms taken up by holding onto another carbon. Okay. And then it has two other arms still free. And each of those has a fluorine. Okay. Okay. 
And now both carbons have that. So there's a carbon with a double bond to a carbon. Both of them still have two arms free, and each of those arms is holding a fluorine. Okay. That's why we call it tetrafluorine, because there are four fluorines. They're just not all around one carbon. Right, right. And then to polymerize that, essentially you open that bond up, like you take one of the double bonds and make it bond to another unit of the same thing. Okay. And then that would open up the bond and take it to another unit of the same thing. And that's how you get this repeating chain of just carbons with two fluorines on it. Okay. Taking one of the bonds of the, like the two that are with the carbon, carbon Mm -hmm. to carbon. Yes. That's where you'd add it in. Yeah. You would basically, if you can imagine, it's hard to picture. So hopefully Brie can illustrate for us. But if you can imagine, you know, before we had it to where, um, if you imagined a person with four arms mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, they're linking arms side to side with a bunch of different carbons and then the arms coming out of the front and the back have fluorine. Uh-huh. So to start with, you can imagine carbons where two of their arms are holding on to each other yes. and then the other two arms have fluorine. And when they come and see another carbon, they'll break one of the bonds to their fellow carbon and grab the new one. Got it. Got so it. like instead of the arms being on the same side, they they break that and now it's a single bond between both carbons. Got it. So every carbon ends up two of their arms are to carbon mm-hmm. and two of their arms are to fluorine. Yes. Okay. Got it. And they started with two of their arms to carbon, but it was like two the, of their arms to the same the carbon. The same carbon. Yep. So instead of it being like, oh, we have two bonds to carbon A, now we have a bond to carbon A and a bond to carbon B and they're both single bonds okay. and no double bonds anymore. Got it. So that's how fluorine came to be. Yeah. So just a little bit of a history. In the 1930s, a chemical researcher who was working at a subset of DuPont, um, he had a, that's a chemical company name that should sound familiar. (laughs) We talked about it in Teflon. Um, He was working with a high pressure can of polytetra, or sorry, of tetrafluoroethylene. Okay. So it's the gas, it's a gas in its natural state. So it was in, a gas form and he had it in like a pressurized cylinder and it was acting like it was empty, you know, when he tried to open the valve or whatever, but there was still some weight to it, which indicated that there still should be gas in there, but it was like no gas was coming out. Uh huh. And so eventually he opened up the container and apparently it was like kind of scary. If it's the kind of container I'm imagining, they can be really dangerous because it's very high pressure oh. air. Uh-huh. Um, but he opened the container behind a bomb shield and instead of finding gas, he found a waxy substance, uh-huh. which was that the gas had polymerized under all that pressure. And with enough, there's enough like ionization happening in the um, cylinder that it caused the polymerization. Interesting. So it was an accident. Wow, that's crazy. I know. And he could have just been like, whatever, but instead he went and figured it out. Yeah. Good for him. I mean, like... (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) I guess, like, good science, though. It's like, what happened? Let's figure it out. Right. At the time, probably further thing from his mind was, is this going to be around forever? Is this going to change the world? (laughs) Yeah. I know, yeah. And before you knew how dangerous it was, you probably were like wow, I made something that's like making the world so much better. Yeah. And just like the mystery of like, wait, why did this happen? And yeah. what, what is this now? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would be totally yeah. like, I got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. So. And I think lots of big chemistry, lots of big scientific things happen on accident, you know? Yeah. And I like to instill that in my students. I just, I want you to be observers who draw conclusions 
that's really what, to me, the scientific method is really about is like making observations and using that as evidence to draw conclusions, you know? So it was an accident, but he went and figured it out. And eventually DuPont got a, um, patent for it. Mm -hmm. And in the early 1940s is when patented Teflon products started to be sold. Got it. So that's where we started. Um, Hang on, let me make sure. Oh, so uh, some of the uses we had talked about a little bit last week, but it can produce a good seal. That was one of the first things that it was used for, like what you talked about with your pool. Mm-hmm. It's still being used. Teflon is literally still being used in plumbing. Um, and it also is used in clothing, candy wrappers, pizza boxes on on nonstick pans, fast food wrappers. It's fire extinguishers. It was even on Neil Armstrong's space suit when he wow. walked on the moon. Wow. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. So by 1948, which this is earlier than I thought, I guess. I don't remember Teflon really being around. Right. Yeah, maybe it really was like kind of niche earlier. Maybe so. But yeah, that's crazy. But by 1948, DuPont was producing over 900 tons of Teflon per year. Oh my gosh. That's so much. Jeez. And another company, also a 3M, was starting to produce other PFAS as well. Both of these were in America, I believe West Virginia and Minnesota, mm. and M State for sure. Which also, it just really struck me that as a chemist and someone in America, an American chemist, both of these things happened with and by people that I share some identities with, you know, it's like, I'm also an American chemist. And I think it just, it goes back to that dark side of chemistry. You know, it's like so many good, amazing things happen from chemistry, but also so many bad things have happened with irresponsible chemists, mm-hmm. not paying attention to what's really happening. Yeah. And so much throughout researching this, I was reminded of the radium girl story that I talked about last week where it's just a lot yeah. <laughs> of of irresponsibility, I think. And maybe in some cases, intentional um, maliciousness. Yeah. So based on their uses and different manufacturings, uh, different places in America have different water contaminants built up of different types of PFAS. So, mm. for example, a lot of military bases will use um, a certain type of foam to put out uh bad like chemical fires, I think. Uh So with areas that use a lot of that, like military bases and airports, you're more likely to have a higher contamination of that type of PFAS. Whereas if you maybe have a clothing contamination or a clothing factory, maybe you have more contamination of the kind that they use for your raincoats. And there's a really interesting map on um, one of the papers that's linked in our resources where it kind of showed like, oh, this type of PFAS in blue and this type in pink and this mm. type, you know, and places where there's higher manufacturing had different colors. And then like airports, the one that was associated with airports and military training was all over the United States. It was just wild. Yeah. And so thinking about that, like where you live within the United States impacting what you're exposed to in the water is like, it's so clearly linked yeah, to that's the crazy. industry. So uh, there's a lot of water contamination um, now in the United States, but it seems like as early as the 1950s, there was evidence that DuPont knew or was suspicious of the dangers of poly or perfluorinated 
alkyl substances, PFAS. Okay. Dang. Here's a question. Maybe yes. you don't know the answer. Maybe it's not that important. But so Teflon is just one PFAS, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. When they say Teflon, is it one like specific configuration? Like only, we only call this one Teflon. Yes, I think so. I think just that um, the original PTFE is Teflon. Sometimes it's also called C8. Okay. So I think it, there's just like this, uh, the it's a straight chain of carbons with all the fluorines on it. And I don't know if it's like, um, if it's cross-linked or not, if that would change whether or not it's Teflon. Uh-huh. So if the polymer strands are connected to each other or if they're just all lined up, I don't know okay. about that. Yeah. But it does seem like Teflon specifically is just the polytetrafluoroethylene or PTFE. Okay. That's Teflon. Got it. And then there are other ones that are, that are branched or that you swap out a carbon for an oxygen and you're hoping that that'll make it easier to break it down, but it doesn't always. Mm-hmm. Okay. And PFAS in general is like anything that has a unit of fluorine that's swapped out on yeah. these on these polymers. So, okay. Um, okay. So here's a quote from a Chemistry World. So that's the Royal Society of Chemistry. They have a magazine that they put out, or a you know, with a lot of articles that aren't necessarily like scientific articles, but mm-hmm. we know that they're very accurate. And so here's a a really good quote from one of the articles that I linked to. And these, all the resources I use today are really interesting. And I think they would be accessible to people who aren't chemists. So if you're interested, you can always go check those out as well. And two big ones came from Chemistry World. And then I did also use Teflon.com just to confirm that the original story was correct. Mm. But I didn't use them for anything else because... They clearly have a vested interest, right? Right. (laughs) So um, here's the quote. Internal studies were identified. So that's internal to DuPont. Studies were identified ranging from 1961 to 1994, showing that DuPont had evidence of PFAS toxicity from internal animal and occupational studies that it did not publish in the scientific literature and failed to report its findings to the EPA which was required by the U.S. Toxic Substance Control Act. These documents were all marked as confidential, and in some cases, industry executives were explicit that they wanted the memo destroyed. Mm. Dang. No. Yikes. Yikes. That's pretty damning evidence. Yes. So definitely some evidence that PFAS were toxic. And this is, this brought up something that I wanted to highlight. And, um, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but the funding source of studies matters. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times people are like, well, if it's published, you know, and peer reviewed or whatever, then it must be accurate. And I think that that's true to an extent, but also what can happen is what gets submitted for publication can be controlled in a way that We don't know, even as like journal editors, as people who review other people's um, studies. So there was a really interesting, this is totally unrelated. I was doing (laughs) some research for the podcast and I went down a rabbit hole and what a review article was published that to me seemed like a guy was just mad and trying to prove a point, Uh uh (laughs) which was the, the funding source of articles about, I think the health effects of soda was what it was, Uh were there was a statistically significant skew 
based on the funding company. Uh, and that doesn't even necessarily mean that their findings were false, but it's like you're much more likely to get the positive findings mm-hmm. if it's funded by a company, which probably is because we're not seeing any of the negative company. Right, right. Or negative findings. They, they have a vested interest in not publishing anything that's negative because you want to keep your funding from them. Yeah. So even if it's from an independent source, if the funding originates from a company, you need funding to survive as a scientist. Right. And so you have a vested interest in only putting something out that gives a positive result. And even if it doesn't actually cause that every time, mm-hmm. it at least is putting pressure on those who are trying to write and publish their findings that it would be way better if it was not there. Yes. Like, I'm guessing there's probably out there, if you found a story like this, like probably a company that was like, hey, please do this study. Mm-hmm. And we do not want you to hold back because we care about the public and blah, blah, blah. And we're a good company. There's probably a company out there. Yeah, like at that. some point it came out. Right? At least one. Yeah. <laughs> at least one out there. And then they were like, yeah, please do it. Go for it and make it happen. But at the very least, that relationship between people doing the research and publishing it and people funding it is going to have some sort of effect and create some sort of tension. Yeah. Surely. Yeah. Whereas if it didn't exist at all, it wouldn't be there. Yeah. And I do remember being in a seminar shortly after our plastic series came out on the podcast. I was in a research seminar with someone who was funded by um, like oil companies Mm -hmm. and his take was plastics aren't that bad. We use them all the time. And I was like, ah, I just done all this research. And so I could see the skew that yeah. I think he genuinely believed in what his work was. And it was kind of unrelated, but the introduction and the foundation for his work was very much skewed by plastics aren't that bad, mm-hmm. you know, which I was like, I mean, plastics aren't that bad. We do use them all the time, but you don't have to be their champion. <laughs> So I think you just have to be really careful about that. And in this case, the people doing the studies were the people creating. I mean, it was the people who had everything to gain. And Uh so I don't want to put it past chemical companies to, what's the word when you? um, Suppress. suppress, Mm -hmm. To suppress information that would hurt their bottom line. Right. And I hate that because chemistry does so much good. But also I think this is where some of the toxic chemical fear that people put like, oh, chemicals are bad comes into. It's like, well, yeah, yeah chemicals have done bad things. People who are chemists have done bad things, yeah. you know, with their chemicals. So Yeah. And for most of us, like lay people is a total black box. Yeah. Trying to show me like a report and me understand it and read it like a published piece, you know, in a journal. One, understanding it would be difficult. Yeah. Two, understanding whether it's actually the whole picture or not mm-hmm. and what biases may be there or whatever. It's like, it's all black box for us. So it's like, if someone says, hey, you should be scared of this chemical, it's kind of like, well, I don't really have good evidence to counter what you're saying. So maybe I should be scared of it. Yeah. Or if someone's like, no, 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 no. You don't need to be scared of that. Then you're like, like, fine. I don't have good evidence to counter what you're saying either. So it's yeah. like- like we kind of get jerked around a bit because we just don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's kind of how I feel about silicone. I'm or silicone. You know, we did that. Yeah. That's what kind of started it off. But I'm like, right now, I don't have good reason to be afraid of this. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that 
that something's being suppressed. And I don't think that's a good reason to be afraid of everything, but I think yeah. it is a good reason to keep your mind and your ears open. Yeah. You know? It's hard. It's really hard. Um, so one 1959 study looked at respiratory and skin exposure, which noted that influenza-like attacks, so basically like the flu, mm-hmm. um, were present in occupational literature. And that was attributed at the time to smoking cigarettes that were contaminated with the PFAS. Mm. But that tells me if in 1959 there was already stuff in the occupational literature and they were already doing research to try to figure out what the impact of this was. That tells me that even before 1959, they knew that there was questionable things happening. Yeah. Yeah. And in the chemistry world article, there was a lot of really awful stuff. So, um, things like birth defects in babies for some workers that were in the, um, they called it C8, but around the Teflon, Um, there was in 1978, a personal and confidential memo found that there was elevated liver enzymes in DuPont employees. Mm. And, um, they also talked about how there was already PFAS in the bloodstream of the workers at that time. And this reminded me so much of, I'm like, how could they have information about the liver enzymes of their employees and not do something. But that is exactly what happened with Mm -hmm. radium too. It's like they knew that their employees' blood work wasn't normal, but they suppressed that information. Right. Which feels so icky. Yeah. Like at some point you'd hope somebody would have done something. Right. Yeah. And it's like, and maybe there are, I don't know. Maybe there's people who are like, this might scare people. We don't even know if this is bad yet. Maybe, yeah. Well, let's not tell anyone. Yeah. But, and maybe, and that's definitely ill-advised, but maybe they're thinking, we don't want to cause a panic, but there's probably some people who are like, this doesn't look good. Let's definitely not tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I would say prior to 1990, there was a lot of, or at least a good amount, enough that they should have been doing something, of documented evidence around liver toxicity, reproductive impacts, and other health issues like cancer, skin, things like that. Mm-hmm. So they could have done something. And one of the biggest things that I think could have happened is instead of them being used so widely as they are today, is we could have started to, you know, I feel like they became miracle coatings, you know? These are so good for everything. I think we could have found ways to break them down because it's not impossible to break them down. Teaser for next episode. Mm -hmm. And we would have been on top of that more sooner without them being contaminated in water. And I think it would have allowed us to maybe find alternatives that possibly were safer. I mean, I guess we wouldn't have known. And by the time they find out, they started to make alternatives that all seem to be just as bad (laughs) so far, but there were other options, you know, instead of pushing Teflon pans on everyone, we could have gotten those out of homes and instead started to use cast iron. Yeah. Yep. So I think that was a big takeaway that I had is if we had, if we had known, if the public had known about this sooner, there would have, maybe we couldn't have stopped what was already happening, but we could have kept it from being integrated into every area of our lives. Right, right. Because there were alternatives, you know, pizza boxes didn't have these before they existed. They were just pizza boxes. Yeah. <laughs> and food wrappers don't need this coating. You can just put them in paper wrap. You know, there's yeah, other options right. that maybe they won't do as well, but they're still going to get the job done and they wouldn't have put us at such a risk. But now we have this stuff running rampant. Yep. It's everywhere. So that's hard, man. 
I will say uh, something else that's challenging and also goes similar to um, what I read about uh, radium poisoning and companies involved in that is. So DuPont made spinoff companies, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. basically their <laughs> fluorochemistry, they broke off into a different company and then DuPont merged with Dow and then actually DuPont split back off again. And so there's been all these mergers and splits and breakups and get back together. So I was like, this is like a teen drama, <laughs> but essentially the company originally that made PTFE doesn't exist anymore. Huh. I mean, they, they exist in a way that they don't really have liability because they're like our company never made right. it. Right. That was this company over here, you know, kind of. So that's an interesting, um, twist, mm-hmm. but I will say as of this Is it this June or this July? This June, um, several of the companies that originated from DuPont came together and reached a settlement where they agreed to pay just under $1.2 billion to settle PFAS-related claims with regards to certain waterways in the United States. So that was very recently and part of how I thought this was a good time to address this. But Mm -hmm. it does seem like they're trying to take some responsibility now that they're being forced to. Yeah, right. (laughs) So the fluorochemistry company is paying for the majority of it, but then some of the other companies also are paying for Mm. part of it. So that's how we got here. Man. That's a little bit of the history of PFAS. I will say I got a very fun email from a listener who works with PFAS who um, shared some articles about um, how we deal with PFAS in water. And uh, there's also very cool new video recently that came out from the American Chemical Society about another way that we could potentially um, get rid of PFAS. So there's fun things on the horizon for the next episode. But for now, I just wanted to kind of talk about the, res- the I think, the responsibility that chemists hold. Mm. You know, it's it's that dark side of chemistry, but also like, how did we get here? Right, <laughs> you know? right. And how can we keep this from happening again? I don't know how we could keep it happening, keep it from happening again. Because yeah. it feels like it happens a lot with technology that seems so great and then makes a lot of money, but mm-hmm. has s- signs and symptoms that something's not quite right. A lot of that gets suppressed. So it's just yeah. an issue in chemistry, I guess I wanted to bring up. Yeah, that's really hard too, because I feel like, I mean, there's the excitement of discovery, the yeah. excitement of like this thing you know, does things that other substances don't do or yeah. does it better. Yeah. And so useful. Getting excited about applying it a bunch of ways mm-hmm. before you've really tested what could be the downsides. And some things may not even be obvious unless it's been out and people have been around it for years. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So then it's like, okay, cat's out of the bag. Now we're starting to see employees having these weird side effects or whatever. And it's like there should be some way for it to not be that that's the only way we find out stuff, yeah. you know, where it's like, oh, people are already being like seriously already getting sick. Uh, yeah. Seriously affected beyond just traces like in their blood, but like, okay, they're getting flu-like symptoms and stuff or yeah. like the birth defects. It's like, gotta have some way of having, you know, checkpoints earlier before we widely distribute something into the world. Yeah. And what's weird to me thinking about this is I think of, Oh, PFAS, that's become a hot topic in the last 10 or 15 years. (laughs) Right. Right? 
this has been going on since the 60s. I mean, yeah. Diet Coke came around more recently than that. Diet Coke came on the scene in like the 80s. Right. Yep. So this is technology that's older than Diet Coke. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so it feels like we've just started hearing about it. How did that happen? I mean, I guess we right. know uh, how it happened. We just talked about it. But that's wild to me that behind the scenes, they've been concerned since the 60s. And it really started to hit the market in the 40s. Yeah. And we're just hearing about it now. I feel like the other route, so the first route could be maybe super careful, bunch of checkpoints before mm-hmm. some things like really introduce into the world. Maybe the other route would be something like if you've put something out there and something you really didn't expect and could not have necessarily really tested for, starts becoming obvious, like people are getting sick by it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we just normalize being like, hey guys, hey everyone, we made this <laughs> and we actually think that we might need to put a pause on all this This is a mistake. But like, we have a little bit of precedent for that. You've got someone like, the only story I can think of is Nobel making dynamite and then Mm, reversing course being known for, I I forget exactly the way that all those events took place, but we have the Peace Prize named after him because he did that thing and then realized what he'd done. I forgot that that happened. You know? Yeah. But it's like, you can just own it and be like, hey everyone, you know, (laughs) Sure, my reputation is going to be a little yeah. messed up because of this. But if someone had done that in the 50s, um, you, you said the first memos that were circulating were in the 50s? It was in the 50s, yeah. Yeah, if someone had done that then, we, yeah, it would have been a little messy for a bit, but a We lot wouldn't of, even have heard about it anymore, probably. Nope. Or, yeah, I mean, like, it maybe would have taken a, a few rounds of trying out, oh, is it a different PFAS or, you know, different yeah. configuration, different branch off or cross-linking or whatever that works better or adding in the oxygens or something like that. Maybe they would have tried a bunch of things back then early. But if someone had been like very upfront with the public and been like, hey guys, maybe stop using this for this. Yeah. We're trying to figure this out. But then you get some trust yeah. from the public. Like, yeah. oh, the scientists made this thing. And then also they cared about, they were concerned about our well-being. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's like the way to go because we can't, <laughs> surely we can't prevent every unexpected no certainly not thing like that and then we talk about that even with me on this in a small scale on this podcast you know if i make a mistake as soon as i realize i've made a mistake i i want to know and i yeah. do the best i can to correct it and i i think on an individual level maybe it's easy to have that ethic but i wonder if there's a little bit of like a group think thing that happens where you're just one person who's seeing these effects and it feels like too big for you to tackle or something, Yeah, you know, like only one person at the top has the full picture maybe, or Mm -hmm. I don't know. I could see that being really hard. And, and I do think that like the EPA has a regulation that you're supposed to the U S toxic substance control act. You're supposed to report those things, but if it's affecting, you know, their income, their bottom line. I think it's hard yeah. to want to do that. Yeah. You know? You've put the interest of like ethics against business. Yeah. Like whenever those are opposed to each other, there are people who are going to pick business mm-hmm. and it would be better if that wasn't even the choice. You know, if we were like a great, if we had a really good track history of like rewarding those who are ethical mm-hmm. and it was like really advantageous for you, like if we were, if we're the most ethical company we could possibly be, we'll also make the most money. Yeah. You know, that would be, 
That would be cool. But it doesn't usually work that way. Yeah, at least but not it, not here, at least. And I do think initially nobody saw problems with it. I mean, like, so yeah. the scientists who were making it were also using it. There's a story of somebody using Teflon on their fishing hooks, and then his wife was like, I wish I could put this on my pans. I would make it so much easier to clean them, you know? And mm-hmm. I don't think you'd knowingly bring that into your home. It also kind of reminds me of, like, social media, where some of the people who work for social media companies, like, don't let their families have it. And, yep, yep. You know, so it, it just feels like... it. It wasn't that insidious where they were like, no, this can't come into my house. But I'm wondering yeah. at what point it got that insidious or. Right. Yeah. So it's it's just kind of an interesting look back at how we ended up where we are. Yep. And um, maybe if anyone listening to this podcast works for a chemical company and you know that something's happening on a wide scale that shouldn't be happening or even on a small scale. If you see, see something, say something. <laughs> yeah. The EPA is right there. Who knows what they'll do, but at least you'll know you did it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I thought that that was a good chance to look back at how we got here and kind of the like dark side of um, chemistry and also like be accountable for the, for the, the people, the people, my people, the yeah. chemists, that's yeah. what they did, you know? And so the next week I'm going to bring us the happy, what we can do about VFAS, what is happening about nice. VFAS right now. Nice. And I'm really excited to share that with you. And our listeners' email was really good that I'm excited about too. So awesome. So yeah. And I got a lot of really good feedback about this. A lot of people reached out and shared things. It was really fun. So thanks for all you who did that. Nice. Well, that's all I have for us. There's not really a good chemistry lesson this week. You already kind of did explain back the polymer itself. It was quite, yeah, it was sort of like story time, which yeah. I like. I like we occasionally have these sort of like Here's the history of this. Yeah. Here's how this came to be. And I'm, yeah, cool with that. I love it. So let's end on a happy note and talk about something that's making us happy instead of this that's making us sad. Great. I've got a happy thing to share. Uh, Actually, Jam started to tell me this and then said, nope, uh, never mind. Yeah. I'm going to save it. It's funny though, because it's a it's a happy note, but it is it mirrors what we're talking about a little bit in the sort of scientific world. So- I'm behind. So a lot of you viewers will be like, like, geez, finally, I saw that forever ago. But just last week, you know, keep in mind, I have two kids and um, I'm a film nerd, but that took a serious backseat, back, back, backseat as soon as kids came into the picture. Yeah. Finally went by myself on a weeknight, <laughs> late at night to the like 9.45 p.m. showing of Oppenheimer. Oh, that sounds kind of nice. Which was nice, yeah. And I I uh, had prepped for it a little. I drank some coffee later and stuff like that, so I was <laughs> I was ready. And went and saw that, and it was so good. Such a good movie. And I have I, to confess that I have not seen it, and I don't actually even know what it's about. I know you haven't seen it, and I know that <laughs> I mentioned it one time, and you were like, what's that? Yeah. So- I realized when Barbenheimer was the big thing, I knew that it existed, but I have, yep. I've really not sought out any information about it. So I'll tell you just a little, like a little teaser okay. is just that it's about, uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, okay. who is the father of the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. So a scientist, he was a physicist, uh, mostly in theoretical physicist and it was his like main area of expertise. And, um, it's, his story is kind of famous. I remember doing this like deep dive. There's times where I would go like into a Wikipedia <laughs> hole, yeah. you know, and just read everything I could. I remember sometime in either high school or college reading everything I could about this guy 
because wow. I was just curious. I was like, this happened. And this guy seems like he was very responsible for yeah. it. And what, how'd that happen? You yeah. know? And like you read, there's a little bit about that in the World War II section of your history books, but they don't do like a ton yeah. on the science of the atomic bomb and stuff. And he, he helped with it. And then I won't give too many details, but classic Nobel situation, regretted some of the things that happened. Is that what the movie's about? Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's a it's a really full breadth of his story. Um, and it's very tied to his story. It's not trying to be like, yeah, it's very tied to his perspective. Um, and kind of what motivates him and and different things and it jumps around in time a little bit, but it is a fascinating movie, beautifully shot, great acting. It's like, yeah, all the boxes checked for a film nerd like me. But I think what's great about it is despite it being like a like very history, very science. I think they did a great job at not dumbing that down mm-hmm. too much, but still making it very appealing and interesting to the average viewer. Wow. You so like, should I go watch it? Yes, you should. Is Absolutely. it going to make me sad, do you think? I don't think so. Okay. I, I think there's, I don't know. I think it depends on how you look at it. Because if you look at it one way, it's like, oh, right, that happened in history and that sucks. Like that, that's sad. And it's like messy. And there's a lot to like, that was before our time, but now we're being faced with the details about it. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, someone was involved in something, and then they really had second thoughts about it. And we're trying to help sort of correct what they did. Yeah. And that's, you know. That's not good. A, that's what we were just talking about. Yep. So it's kind of perfect. But it is, you don't leave feeling like amazing, but it's not trying to also make you feel horrible either. Yeah. That's what I would say. Nice. So anyway, that was mine. That's good. Finally got to see a movie. What about you? I finally got to go camping. Did nice. I share about this or not? I don't remember. I think maybe you did. Well, last week we recorded just a Q&R. Yeah, I don't think so I did. So you didn't then, yeah. So I finally got to go camping. I've been wanting to go uh, car camping for a while, but we didn't have the appropriate vehicle. So we got mm-hmm. our new car and then we went car camping in New Mexico and it was so fun. I have my personal TikTok where I try to like, made some videos about it. You can go look at that if you want. Um, it's just like, it was so pretty. Yeah. And there's just something, my mother-in-law says, I don't like bugs, bad guys, or bears. Mm -hmm. And that's really accurate. Like Mm -hmm. the idea of sleeping outside in a tent with no walls between me and the bugs, the bad guys or the bears Mm -hmm. is not, it's not good for my anxiety. Did she say that about herself or about you? About me. Okay. She's like, Melissa doesn't like the three bees. <laughs> and I was like, they're going to think you're talking about literal bees. <laughs> That's so funny. I was thinking that she that she said that about herself, but it's funny that she had you pegged yeah, that no, way. Yeah, no, we had a conversation about it. It was like, for a while, we thought we would be camping in tents there. And I was, my excitement immediately plummeted. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And then when we got the car and I realized for sure we we're going to be car camping, I was like, Yes. Nice. <laughs> so I'm pretty happy. I uh, had so much fun. The weather was beautiful there. It was so nice to not be hot. Texas mm-hmm. is in smack dab in the middle of a heat dome right now. Um, it's hot here. Mm-hmm. It's like hotter than I ever remember it being yeah. my whole life. And so it was just nice to get out and to be somewhere beautiful by the river and by trees mm-hmm. and it was cold. I was cold sometimes. Wow, nice. I know. That was amazing. Yeah, it's currently 102, and that is like a 
relatively mild compared to the days we've had yes the past couple weeks it's been like 109 every day yeah basically yep we're breaking all kinds of records yeah uh but that not was in a cool nice. way that's not awesome. in a cool way in a hot way <laughs> yeah that's great that you got a break from the heat and got to yeah go spend time outdoors in nature be around yeah that's awesome we got a really nice comfy camping bed it was pretty expensive but we're like okay this is like it was like uh 350 or whatever yeah. we're like okay this is expensive but if we if we sleep on it for like three nights that's basically the equivalent of a hotel yep good point so we've slept on it for i think three nights now i think there you go. two and we've already planned our next camping trip in um we're going to go to Beaver's Bend in Oklahoma. Nice. Which is like only a few hours away. Yeah. And it feels a little bit like Colorado. It's like trees and rivers yep. and hills. So yeah. It's nice. It's the closer version of it. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, that was my happy thing is um, nature and just taking an unplug break where I was like. Nice. Just very in the moment. It was great. Very great. That's awesome. I'm jealous. Yeah, well, <clears throat> maybe one day you and your kiddos can come camping with us. That'd be fun. That'd be very fun. We do have big dreams of that happening someday. Yes, someday. But now we just, we got to get them to the right age. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for recounting the history. Yes, thanks for listening and for cheering me up at the end. I was like, huh. but now I'm like, oh, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks to you and all of our listeners for listening and wanting to learn and for all the great feedback you gave about the episode. That was awesome. And thanks for teaching us and thanks for being able to, being willing to open up this series um, that's tough and and very, very current, but we really appreciate that. And if you have questions or ideas, things you would think of chemistry, um, that you want to ask us about, please do that. We love y'all's questions and ideas. You can reach out to us on our website at chemforyourlife.com. That's chem, F-O-R, yourlife.com to share your thoughts and ideas. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the cost of making it, you can go to patreon.com slash chemforyourlife or type the link in our show notes or in the show description to join our super cool community of patrons. <laughs> yeah, but if you're not able to do that, you can still help us by subscribing on your favorite podcast app and rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribing on YouTube and commenting something cool on our YouTube videos. Those things help us to share chemistry with even more people. This episode was made possible by our financial supporters over on Patreon. It means so much to us that you want to help us make chemistry accessible to even more people. Those supporters are Latila S, Bree M, Avishai B, Brian K, Chris and Claire S, Chelsea B, Derek L, Emerson W, Hunter R, Jacob T, Christina G, Katrina H, Lynn S, Melissa P, Nicole C, Nellie S, Stephen B, Shadow, Suzanne P, Timothy P, and Venus R. Thank you again for everything you do to make Chemistry for Your Life happen. And if you'd like to learn more about today's chemistry lesson, you can check out the references for this episode in our show notes or in the description of the video. Yay, chemistry! Yay, chemistry!